Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going on there. We'll be diving into the NBA. We'll be looking at the WNBA, and we'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow at JTime Sports on Twitter and Instagram. That is for breaking news. That is for show updates in general. And also, don't forget the show is on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember, tell your friends, hit that subscribe and follow button. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. guys welcome into another absolutely packed show the nfl is the gift that keeps on giving the nba playoffs are right around the corner the wnba season starts today we've got the hall of fame enshrinement absolutely packed show this week i mean let's just dive right into this so obviously the nfl schedule came out a couple of days ago on May 12th, and that was some noticeable scheduling quirks. And we're going to break down all the divisions, what I think everybody's record's going to be, uh, how I get my records, uh, how I think the playoffs are going to pan out, and I'm even going as far as the Super Bowl. I won't pick the Super Bowl because um, last year, if you had to put, if I had to put money on it, I think I picked Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl uh, over the Chiefs, if I'm serving me correctly. But I didn't think that was going to be the way they did it. I thought it would be a shootout situation. It turns out it was complete and total domination. Uh, I would have been right either way. But it is, you know, in my opinion, a little irresponsible for me to pick the Super Bowl so early. Uh, we haven't even gotten through OTAs. Now, right before the season starts, I'll put a hardcore prediction down for the Super Bowl. Uh, that'll be what I do probably on a Thursday morning special for the new season. Or something of that nature. But, again, I would pick up to the Super Bowl, but I won't actually pick the actual game. But just looking at some schedules, uh, there was a few scheduling quirks. For instance, uh, Baltimore has a stretch where they play Cleveland uh, two out of three weeks. But for Cleveland, that's back-to-back games because Cleveland has a bye week in the middle of those two games. However, Baltimore has Pittsburgh in the middle of those two games. You can look at Chicago. They're the first team, I believe, since 2003 to go home away, home away, home away, home away, home away, all the way through their schedule. So they never have two games in a row at home, and they never have two games in a row on the road. Um, You can look at Washington. Finishes their season with five straight division games. So the NFL wants week 18 now. uh, used to be week 17, but the last game of the season to be a divisional game. That is something they have fought for because they said they want the game to matter. Usually, 9 out of 10, a division game is going to matter to somebody. So even if you are not directly playing the team you're trying to pass or the team you're trying to keep below you, that game matters because you're playing somebody else in the division that's also either trying to spoil your season or to get in themselves. For instance, uh, look at the NFC East last year. The Cowboys were watching the Eagles play the Washington football team. Uh, for hopes that, you know, the Eagles would win and that would let the Cowboys in and stuff like that. So there was a lot of different tiebreakers going on. So even though the Cowboys weren't in that game, it was a division rival playing another division rival and they ended up being Doug Peterson with that mess of playing Nate Sudfield and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at 
that game. The NFL is built for that. You see uh, the Eagles and the uh, the Eagles and the Giants went at it a few years ago, trying to get in the playoffs. And Cowboys and Eagles played a couple years ago uh, with Carson Wentz winning his second division over uh, a hobbled Dak Prescott with a bad shoulder. But that game was a direct. It was a two top teams in the NFC East. Winner takes the division and gets the playoff spot. Um, and with most divisions only getting well, at least one division a year. A lot of times, two division a year only getting one person in the playoffs that division spot is huge especially hosting the playoff game in terms of revenue and even your chances to win the game in general but let's dive right into the schedules let's dive right into what i think is going to happen so we're going to start off with the nfc we're going to just dive right through it we're going to start off in the nfc east i have the cowboys going eight and nine the Washington football team going 7-10, and 10, the New York Giants going 9-8, and eight, and the Philadelphia Eagles going 6-11 and 11, with the Giants winning the division. Uh, before I go too much further, I just want to talk about how I do schedules. So I'm one of those people that just like everybody else in America or pretty much the world for the most part, I don't make sure all 256 games line up. So and what does that mean? I don't go on somebody's schedule and if i put a win i don't run to your cousin and put a loss now nine times out of ten i've gone back and looked and they match up like i said nine times out of ten where if i put a you it's probably because i had a reason in my head or a rule in my head so when i do the other person's schedule i immediately go oh okay cool i remember that i put a loss for this team or if i don't remember exactly if i, if I get like stuck on it i'll look if i already put the game in somewhere i'll look and just put the opposite so for instance, uh, the NFC, like for the Patriots and the, and the Bucks, that's kind of the division play. The Patriots and the Bucks. If I put the Bucks, we're going to win the game. And then I just said, like, oh my God, the old Brady gets revenge or whatever. I would look when I play the Patriots, I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. I would go to the Bucks schedule really fast if I remembered it and do it. So most of the time it lines up. I'm not going to promise that every single game is going to line up. Uh, I don't really even do the game-by-game game breakdown for the purpose of the game-by-game game breakdown. I do it for the win-loss record, where it falls in your schedule. I may think a game is differently based on where it falls in your schedule, how it falls in somebody else's schedule, uh, that sort of thing. Also, I give everybody a three and three division record. I say you win all of your division games on the, at home and you lose all of your division games on the road. Why do I do that? I do that because Usually divisions are close. So division games, I, I, you throw out all the rule books, throw out all the records. It's just like conference games with with conference rivals. The records don't matter. The How the team was playing coming to the game doesn't matter. All that matters that week, you're playing that team. So Detroit, for instance, is going to play Green Bay tougher than they're probably going to play 80% of the teams on their schedule. Why? Because Green Bay is in their division. So even on the road, they may lose by 10, but it's a tight 10-point game. They're in the game in the fourth quarter kind of thing. As opposed to if the Lions were to play Tampa, they'd lose by 40. Now, Tampa and Green Bay are comparable teams, but because one's a division rival and one's not, they get up more for Detroit. They would, uh, they would sorry, Green Bay rather, they would be more familiar with Green Bay and their system as opposed to getting destroyed by Tampa. So I give everybody a 3-3 three three division record. I've noticed over the years that that allows a game of adjustment. For instance, if I give you a 3-3 three three division record, and you end up going four and two with that allows you to lose a game i don't think you would lose and then you, you'd balance out either way or if you go two and four and you win an extra game i think you're gonna win it balances out 
etc etc so that's how i get my numbers um but after that long speech i'm gonna repeat the nfc east to make sure nobody got lost that would be winning the division giants nine and eight then i would have the cowboys coming in second at eight and nine and then the washington football team coming in third at seven and ten and then the philadelphia eagles coming in fourth at six and eleven um remember the 17 game schedule this year and so that is why you know it's obviously 17 games shifting to the nfc south i would have winning the division tampa bay at 12 and 5. then i would have coming in second place would be the new orleans saints at 10 and 7. then third place would be the atlanta falcons at 9 and 8. and fourth place would be the carolina panthers at 8 and 9. now looking at these schedules um i think new orleans and he's going to have a high streak in the middle. I just don't know how they're going to do early. Adjusting to a new quarterback. Sands Breeze. Um, the NFL did no favors to a team like the Eagles. I have them losing a bunch of games in a row early. Because um, they did no favors. But on the back end of their schedule, it gets a little easier for them. Uh, conversely for the Cowboys, their hard part is on the back end of their schedule. Uh, as opposed to the Eagles get an easy part, the the Cowboys on my record loses a lot on the back end of their schedule. Uh, Washington has a rough few weeks in there where they lose a lot. So the NFC East is going to be not as big of a tire fire as it was last year. I expect a double. I expect a nine win team, which is something we did not get last year. Um, New York, I think is going to win it. They have the best infrastructure. I'm concerned about Dallas's defense. I know they just hired Dan Quinn, but I just seen Dan Quinn coach. It wasn't great. Dan Quinn was also the coach of 28-3, and he lost. And Dan Quinn has only been great one time, and he had the following Hall of Fame players. Earl Thomas, Brandon Browner, Richard Sherman, Bobby Wagner, uh, Michael Bennett may be a Hall of Famer. He had at least four Hall of Famers, possibly up to six. Um, not Brandon Browner, Cam Chancellor. My apologies. Um... So Dan Quinn may be the answer in Dallas. I doubt it, but they did spend a lot of picks on defense, and they did it in his cover three image. They got tall, long corners, six three, six foot four corners. They got two sideline to sideline linebackers and Jabril Cox and Michael Parsons. So Dallas has a definite shot there. Washington has a Ryan Fitzpatrick problem, and the Philadelphia Eagles are a dysfunctional mess. Uh, looking at the NFC South, Atlanta is the tricky team because we don't know what their defense is going to look like. We know their offense is going to be unguardable. They have Calvin Ridley. They have Kyle Pitts. They have Ty Gurley possibly coming back. Matt Ryan is still there. And you still have Julio Jones. The offense is going to be insane. Not quite sure what the defense is going to look like. So that is a concern in Atlanta. You look at New Orleans, like I said, we don't know who's playing quarterback for them, and I think they're going to struggle early, but they're going to get their act together towards the middle of the season as Sean Payton figures out his plan. Carolina is a very interesting team. I had them at 8-9. They could have very well been 6-11, and 11, and they could have easily been 10-7. and 7. So Carolina is a very interesting team, and especially with Sam Donald, they get a little bit of a scheduling break early, but then they really hit a rough spot in the middle. And then Tampa Bay, the only reason I have them losing five games is because of my division rules. Otherwise, they'd probably win 13 or 14 games. Uh, Tampa Bay is a really, really good team. They brought everybody back. I don't expect them to struggle much, if at all. Moving to the NFC North, the entire division being hinged, obviously, on the appearance of Aaron Rodgers being a Green Bay Packer. 
And we're going to start off with Chicago coming in at 5 and 12. We have Detroit coming in at 4 and 13. Minnesota is 8 and 9. And the Green Bay Packers are 10 and 7. Now, looking at the records for the NFC North, that's three bad teams with a 5 and 12 Bears and a 4 and 13 Lions, both of which will have a couple of rough patches. But all in all, they will win a total of nine games. Uh, you look at Detroit, they got no scheduling favors early. Chicago got their rough spot in the middle, which is probably where the transition from Andy Dalton to Justin Fields occurs. Take a look at Minnesota's schedule. They don't really have any spots where it's terrible. I mean, I have them losing four straight at one point. But other than that little stretch, they actually have a positive record. Uh, they would be eight and five outside of those outside of those four. So that is a situation where you look at Minnesota, you flip one or two of those games, you can end up a 10-win team, which may or may not win you the division, depending on how the conference tiebreaker goes. And then you look at the Green Bay Packers. They actually had a very, very favorable schedule in terms of there was no real three-game losing streak opportunity there. There was no real, you know, oh, they lost five or six straight games. Because, that you know, there was there's no opportunity. A, the Packers too good of a team. But B, your schedule fell in a certain way where there was no real possibility of this occurring. So I had the Packers winning the NFC North. And take a look at the best division in football, argue with, I don't know, somebody that doesn't know football, the NFC West. I have the 49ers winning it at 11 and 6. I have Seattle at 10 and 7, the Rams at 10 and 7, and the Cardinals at 10 and 7. And now you're probably thinking, how in the world are you going to get three, four double digit win teams? Well, last year, if you recall, I had all four of them making the playoffs. And then I was looking good on that bet, and then injuries occurred. Kyler Murray uh, was injured, ultimately. Jared Goff suffered an injury. And so I was looking good on my four teams in situation. The Seahawks fell apart physically, and um, so and then that happened. Uh, but this year, I'm going to go back out on that limb. I feel comfortable on that limb, and I think they're going to have four teams in the playoffs. They're going to be the first division to pull it off. Um, all of their schedules are very solid. No one was ever screwed. Uh, Arizona gets hot late along with the Rams. Um, the 49ers are hot in the middle of their schedule. Uh, Seattle never really gets hot but doesn't go cold, so they'll win a couple of games and lose one. They win a couple and lose one. Win, uh, lose, win, loss kind of thing. They never really, like I say, heat up, but at the same time, they never really go cold. They don't have a five or six game losing streak, even a three game losing streak in their schedule anywhere. And then, like I said, the Rams and the Cardinals both heat up at the end to definitely cause a lot of head scratching and strife in the playoffs with four teams from the division. Absolutely insane would be the first time ever uh, because the first time it would be possible. Now, moving to the playoffs, obviously the number one seed Tampa Bay would have the bye, which would place the Packers hosting the Cardinals, the 49ers hosting the Seahawks, and the Giants hosting the Rams. Again, this is all dependent on health because I, I don't think the 49ers get here with Trey Lance, his rookie year. I could be wrong, but based on what I'm hearing from scouts and people who have evaluated him, I don't think he's ready yet to lead a team to the playoffs, especially a division victory in that division. But I would have the Packers beating the Cardinals, the Niners beating the Seahawks, and the Rams beating the Giants setting up Tampa versus the Rams and the Packers versus the Niners. 
I would have Tampa beating the Rams and the Niners beating the Packers, setting up Tampa versus the 49ers, which would be Brady versus Jimmy G, neither one in New England, which would just be absolutely spectacular. But I would have Tampa winning the game. Just too much raw talent there. And now we're going to shift to the AFC. Uh, we're going to shift there right after this quick break. And we are back. And again, we are rolling right through the predictions for the new season in terms of what's going to happen down in the NFL this year. We just finished the NFC in the last segment. And now we're going to jump right into the AFC. And we're going to finish, actually, the NFL topic as a general, as a whole, rather, uh, through this through this segment. So we're going to jump right into the AFC South. Uh, a few new faces in new places. For instance, Arthur Smith, who's the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, he is now the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, obviously, Carson Wentz is the quarterback now for the Indianapolis Colts. We don't know what the hell is going on with the Houston Texans. And Jacksonville has their new shining hope in Trevor Lawrence, generational level talent at the quarterback position, along with Urban Meyer as the head coach, and Tim Tebow, who we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So the Tennessee Titans, I have them going 6-11. Their schedule is not very favorable, especially in the middle. And also losing your offensive coordinator, uh, Mike Rabel is a defensive guy. I don't think Ryan Tannehill is that special. I think he was buttressed a lot by Arthur Smith. They're going to have a new scheme. So is it, is it going to be Derrick Henry centric? Yeah, they're going to try to move away from Derrick Henry a little bit. So we're going to see how they play. They also lost a little talent on defense. I'm not sure they're going to get that pass rush from this year. And so I have them going 6-11. and 11. The Indianapolis Colts, I have them winning the division at 9-8. and eight. Now, they have a rough end to their schedule. I have them losing four of their last five. Uh, but other than that, they play pretty well throughout most of the season. They have Carson Wentz now. So they may come out the gate a little slow, but their schedule is actually very favorable early. So they can end up uh, easing Carson Wentz into the fold in Indianapolis relatively well. I have the Houston Texans going 4-13, which reflects only the fact that they are guaranteed three wins from me based on the way I do the um, schedules with giving everybody their divisional game as a win, or their home divisional game as a win, and then if they win one other game. Other than that, they lose every single game on their schedule, which is deserving of what should happen to them with the mess that they have organizationally, including right now Deshaun Watson and what's going on with him. And then I have the Jacksonville Jaguars going 8-9. and nine. Uh, They would have had a positive record, but they have a rough spot in the middle. I have them losing 6-7 of seven at one point. But the Jacksonville Jaguars have the general ability to go 8-9. and nine. They actually were not a bad team last year. They did not have a good coach, in my opinion. They did not have a great quarterback. And they did not have a new culture. Their culture was the old Jacksonville culture. Well, it's a new culture with Urban Meyer. He, that's what, that's his thing. He builds cultures. He gets facilities done. He brings in money. He brings in quarterback play. He improves the offense, which is what they, if they get that, they could easily win eight games this year. So I have them going eight and nine, finishing second in the division uh, above Tennessee and above Houston with the Colts, like I said, winning it at nine and eight. Jumping into the AFC West, I have the Chiefs winning the division at 12 and five. 
uh, dominant team who had one possible concern, and that is the offensive line, which was massively improved. You have Orlando Brown Jr. You have uh, Devote Tarvernay, who's going to come back from the opt-out, going to help people with COVID. You sign Kyle Long. And so I have the Kansas City Chiefs going 12 and 5. No real rough patch. I have them losing a back to back stretch, but I believe that it's due to a game I think they could actually lose and then a division road game. So I have them going 12 and 5. Coming in second place in the division, I have the Los Angeles Chargers. I have them going 11 and 6. And again, they have no real rough patches. They have actually a great finish to their schedule, winning five of their last six. But there's no real rough patches at all. No back-to-back losses I have in my books. In third place in the division, I have the Las Vegas Raiders improving again. Every year, the Raiders improve. I have them improving one game this year. I think they're slightly better than average, which would give them nine and eight. It's still maybe eight and nine football team. Uh, they obviously they will have a couple of back-to-back losses in there. Uh, they go on a three-game losing streak towards the end, coming off a five-game winning streak, in my opinion. So I mean, if you end up flipping a couple of those losses to wins, you may end up at ten, eleven. Also, the couple of those games I have them winning gets flipped to losses, you can end up at seven wins. You know. We're going seven and ten. So the Raiders, I believe, hold down the third spot. And of course, that brings in the Denver Broncos holding down the fourth spot uh, due to quarterback play. They're not special at quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is fine. Drew Locke is in. And so you pretty much are an average team in that situation, even with that great defense and all those weapons. And because the quarterback play is below average, I believe they go eight and nine. Um, no real long streaks to speak of in terms of losing a couple of back-to-backs, but nothing like a four or five game, you know, losing streak, such as, uh, I have Jacksonville on a three game or Houston's going to lose that eight in a row, uh, that sort of thing. So again, just to reiterate, I have Chiefs one, Chargers two, Raiders three, Broncos four, and the AFC South, I have Colts one, Jags two, Titans three, Houston four. Uh, Jacksonville's schedule was very favorable compared to what it could have been and when they got teams, uh, that sort of thing. The AFC North, which is the best division in the AFC, I have the Baltimore Ravens winning the division at 11-6. They go on a very long win streak right towards the beginning of the year. So they, after that Chiefs game, they have a very favorable schedule for a while, but then towards the end of the year, they have a very a very unfavorable schedule. So they may be hot, hot, hot at the beginning of the year, and then at the end of the year, absolutely just be on a, a losing streak. Like the schedule is not very favorable at all towards the end of the year, including that stretch where they go Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, uh, which is not fun at all. We spoke about that in the first segment, how that is a massive scheduling quirk uh, to go from to play a team two times in three weeks is already a scheduling quirk. And then when the when the team you're playing has a bye week in between your two games and you get a, your actual division rival, uh, that is a pain uh, big time. And big time disadvantage for Baltimore. Uh, like I said, stuff like that is happening during that schedule. Uh, second place in the division, uh, honestly, it shocked me after it happened. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals. They, I had them going 10 and 7. How in the Lord's name do you have the Bengals going 10 and 7? Well, it's simple. Their schedule is incredibly favorable. And if Joe Burrow can stay upright, 
they are going to go 10 and 7 because if you look at their schedule they have very winnable games right in the middle so at the beginning starts off pretty easy um in terms of relatively how i do scheduling and in the middle they have a hell of a streak there they can go on like a four or five game win streak and then towards the end they taper off a little bit but i think that they can go 10 and 7 and become second place in the division third place i have the cleveland browns their schedule is exactly the opposite they didn't have a very favorable schedule talent will win out games i think that lesser teams would lose in terms of where they fall on their schedule um but i have them going nine and eight i think baker Mayfield comes back to earth a little bit and uh they still have that chemistry problem with the beckham being around the franchise they still have you know they have questions and concerns their secondary was a concern last year those guys now are coming off serious injuries so how big of a help are those guys going to be you still don't have a guy opposite miles garrett yes you signed Jadavion county but when has he ever been the number one pick we thought he was going to be and so cleveland has several questions there including like i said does baker mayfield have fat cat syndrome coming off a successful year and for the first time in their history, and for a very long time, and the first time of the Mike Tomlin's regime, the Pittsburgh Steelers come in last place in the division with a losing record uh, at 8-9. Now a non-17 game schedule, they probably go 8-8, eight eight, which Mike Tomlin will keep his record of never having a losing record upheld. But this year, I think they are slightly below average, and so I got them at 8-9. Their schedule did them no favors. And then you add in Ben's Ben's regression as the season goes on, coupled with the offensive line that basically was not addressed during the draft. Yes, they got Najee Harris, but if you have a bad offensive line, your running back is irrelevant. Ask Ezekiel Elliott, and already with the quarterback that's going to be deteriorating, deteriorating by you know October, November, somewhere in there. I have them going eight and nine, uh, possessing a losing record for the first time in the Mike Tomlin era. Now, shifting to the AFC East, I have the Buffalo Bills winning it at 12 and 5. They have a very favorable schedule, especially right in the middle. I have them going on a nice five or six game win streak. Uh, other than that, they possess no real lulls in the schedule. There's no point in the schedule where you're like, man, this is murderer's row. You know, even just trying to survive this portion of the schedule, uh, I have them going 12 and 5. Second place in the division, I have the New England Patriots going 10 and 7. Uh, similar to Buffalo, their middle of their schedule is very favorable for them. A little bit higher up than Buffalo. So Buffalo really starts rolling right around week six or seven. I have New England start their roll around week three. Um, even then, it, it has a loss in there to Tampa Bay. Uh, they do have a back-to-back -back loss and a rough four-week stretch where I have them losing three or four. But they also end the season right after that stretch with uh, three wins in a row, then a loss in week 18 on the road to Miami which seems to be the traditional New England annual loss. Um, so I have them going 10 and seven, coming to second place in the division. The third place team in the division is the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they have murderers row at the beginning. Uh, I have them losing four of their first five. Uh, they have no real losing streaks after that, but they already push you in a hole so behind, you're already in a tough division. Um, so that is going to be a struggle for Miami. I do. I am not a believer in Tua Tagovailoa, which is another reason why they only win eight games. I'm just looking at the quarterbacks they're going to face, and Miami's going to definitively have the second best quarterback on the field. That's a hard pill to swallow, uh, especially to, to compete with, to be an elite level team, to be a playoff level team. 
You're going to need something at quarterback that's special. You look at even a Joe Flacco. He had a monster arm, and he was big. He was used to getting the ball down the field. That's special. Two don't have any of those qualities. Um, not special, and that sort of thing, you know? So that is something definitely to look at in Miami. And then, of course, finishing dead last, I have the Jets, and I have them winning three games because I don't have them literally winning a game outside of the three division games I'm giving them. If I didn't have to give them the three division games, I might predict they go 1-16 or 2-15. But because of my system that allows for a little little error, uh, I have them going 3-14, and 14, literally winning all the home division games. Now, if you look at the playoffs on the AFC side, that would leave the Chiefs as the number one overall seed and possessing the bye. That would make Buffalo the two seed, Baltimore the three seed, Indianapolis the four seed, the Chargers are the fifth seed, the Patriots are the sixth seed, and the Bengals are the seventh seed. So that put Buffalo versus Cincy, Baltimore versus New England, and Indy versus the Chargers. I would have Buffalo beating the Bengals. I would have the Pats actually beating the Ravens, and I would have the Colts beating the Chargers. Into the divisional round, I would have the Chiefs beating the Patriots and Buffalo beating the Colts. In the conference championship, I have the Chiefs taking down the Buffalo Bills, mainly due to home field advantage. If the game somehow ends up in Buffalo, I'd probably take Buffalo in that game. But due to the fact the game is in Arrowhead, for another shot of the Super Bowl would be Mahomes third in a row. I would have the Kansas City Chiefs. And yes, I know you're probably thinking, wow, that sets up Brady versus Mahomes again. You're absolutely right it does, because I am predicting that the Super Bowl will be a rematch of last year's Super Bowl. Just instead of being in Tampa Bay this time, it's going to be in L.A. uh, with the Tampa Bay Bucks versus the Kansas City Chiefs in a very magic versus bird start kind of feel where it's going to be two teams all at the top and then somebody rotated down below. Sort of a better example with the Cavs and the Warriors um, would be the better example of just the kind of, I don't know if they're going to go to five straight, especially because the Chiefs have already been to one prior to, so they just be a third straight. So I don't think they'll be in five straight finals or four straight finals like the Cavs were with the Warriors. But yeah, that is, this is the new cross-conference rivalry, in my opinion, with Tampa Bay and Kansas City. So again, just to repeat my playoff teams in the NFC, I have Tampa Bay, Green Bay, San Francisco, the Giants, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals. And in the AFC, I have the Chiefs, Buffalo, the Ravens, Indianapolis, the Chargers, New England, Cincinnati. And now I'm going to shift to a little bit of preseason award picks. I believe that if my standings hold, the coach of the year will in turn become Joe Judge. He had a lot of momentum for it last year and ultimately didn't get it. Uh, Sean McDermott will be a, a good candidate for it as well out in Buffalo. But he would have done the same thing he would have done last year. So I don't know if he would, he would get it off doing the same thing. But I believe Joe Judge, if he wins that division, would end up as coach of the year. Uh, that would be my pick for it. My preseason MVP pick. Um, I am not quite sure. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to get it this year. I think he's going to suffer from voter fatigue eventually, unless he goes to historic level dominance and greatness. Uh, that's the only way I see Patrick Mahomes getting it this year. I don't see Tom Brady playing, even playing in enough games. I feel like he'll play only 14 or 15 games. So I don't think he will get it as well. Um, if I had 
to pick a person, just one, I would pick Justin Herbert, uh, Los Angeles Chargers quarterback. If that team is fully loaded and they make the playoffs, I don't see how you don't give it to him. It's been a trend for second-year quarterbacks to get it. Uh, Kyler Murray was the favorite to the second-year guys to win it last year and didn't come through. That's who I'd probably pick as my second person to be MVP would be Kyler Murray. But on record, uh, I would pick Justin Herbert to be the uh, MVP of the league, especially if that team makes the playoffs. Now, Rookie of the Year, uh, AFC on defense, I am going to go Quiddy Pay, the defensive end that went to the Colts from Michigan. And on AFC on offense, I am going to select Trevor Lawrence, especially if that team wins eight win, especially if that team win eight games rather, he's going to be the Rookie of the Year if his stats are decent. They didn't have to be great, so I would go with Trevor Lawrence there. On the NFC side. On defense, I'm going to go Micah Parsons, mainly because I believe he's going to have a lot of tackles in the middle of that Dallas defense, and he's going to have the Dallas, you know, media on his side. Um, He's going to be an absolute animal in the middle of that Dallas team, and you know, Jerry Jones is going to start campaigning for him right as his name starts to get mentioned as Rookie of the Year. Jerry Jones is going to be campaigning very hard, and so therefore, I would have... uh, Micah Parsons as my defensive rookie of the year in the NFC and on the eight and then the defensive offensive rookie of the year rather for the NFC I would have Justin Fields um and you're probably thinking he's not even a starter which is absolutely right and he probably won't be starting for a few games however he has an advantage that not many has and that is pretty much a hard due date because I think Andy Dalton is going to be gone relatively early and they're going to put Justin Fields in and think about it, Trey Lance is a backup. Um, you know, the other quarterbacks that win the NFC are backups. You, Kellen Mond is in your division as a backup. Um, there's no real offensive threat. I mean, Kadarius Tony's there, but I'm saying there's no real offensive threat. So I'm going to go with um, Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears to end up as the defensive, as the offensive rookie of the year, rather, for the NFC. And now I'll just touch on some news. So, um, obviously, the big game that everybody was looking for was where does New England play, or when does Brady go back to New England? It is week four. Now, this game, uh, that week is significant for a few reasons. Why? Health. Everybody should be healthy, hopefully. It's early enough in the season where health is not a concern, for schedule makers, um, week 15 big time matchups are concerned health wise. Quarterback sprains an ankle, star receiver twists a toe. Um, he could be out for the game, and then it won't be nearly as exciting. Placing it in week four, however, all but ensures that you will have your star players there to decide on the field between Brady and Belichick. Also, Tom Brady will be is about 1100 passing yards short of Drew Brees' all-time NFL record. And if he throws for, I believe, 275 yards a game, he will break that record sometime in the fourth quarter of his first and only game back at Gillette Stadium the rest of his career because the NFL doesn't host Super Bowls there and because they're cross-conference rivals, they only play four times a year. And so this would be Brady's last time to suit up on that field. And it is very possible he breaks the all-time NFL passing yards record set by Drew Brees just last season um, on that field. 
So that would be huge. And currently the cheapest ticket in the building is about $1,150 to get in to see Brady go against the New England Patriots. Uh, Tim Tebow, we spoke about him earlier. Uh, I say we're going to talk about him quickly, and we are. He is expected to sign within the next few days a one-year contract to play tight end for his old college coach, Urban Meyer, this time with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this is now in situations where he's guaranteed a roster spot. It's not like they're signing in week one to go play in week two. Uh, he's going to get the same opportunities everybody else gets in terms of he's going to come to camp and have to earn his spot. If he can't run routes, if he can't catch, if he has no toughness, no blocking ability, I'm sure he will be cut. Um, they did a workout, so they at least have some kind of baseline what he is. Um, Tim played tight end apparently at his first high school. He played a little tight end, and then when he switched, obviously, he was a full-time quarterback. But he played a little tight end, so he has some decent experience at the position, which is huge when you're switching a position in anything. Um, you know, if you're going from an accountant to a business manager, you're at a solid advantage as a business manager because you have accounting experience. So you know what to look for when you're accounting, that sort of thing. As a quarterback brain, he should have a pretty good advantage on the field mentally from the guys who don't study every single thing like Tim has to do as a quarterback. He has the advantage of that. And then lastly, of course, the Aaron Rodgers drama, which is wrapping up. So what's happening with Aaron Rodgers is he's now expected to go back. Three of his friends have used the term fixable in terms of what they describe the situation as. And so when that many people come out and say the exact same thing about a star player who hasn't said anything publicly, it seems that he's either using them to trumpet his ideas, trumpet what he wants in the media, or he they truly believe it is fixable and it wasn't as bad as it was portrayed in the media uh, by guys like Adam Schefter. And they believe he's going to end up back in Green Bay because they, he can't retire. And if he had one year on his contract left, he could threaten retirement because all I have to do is set out one calendar year and then my rights are no longer yours. So I can sign whoever I want. Uh, that might be a situation he'd go to jeopardy. But he has to set out three years if he decides to retire before he can move on to a different team. Similar to what Calvin Johnson was going through with the Detroit Lions. Um, he wanted to go to the New England Patriots and they owned his rights. The Lions did own his rights for another two seasons. So they denied his request to go to the New England Patriots. Uh, which ultimately led him to ultimately, ultimately retire uh, not try to attempt a comeback. But I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback under center week one. Um, TV people have hedged their bets. They've put the Packers on a lot, but they've also put the Denver Broncos in a couple of their same time slots, which the Broncos is the number one team to land Rodgers. So the NFL is covering their backside in the case they got to suddenly move the A-team over to a different game. So, so the A-team currently with uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, maybe doing the Packers game, but the Broncos game is on simultaneously. So if he ends up getting traded to the Broncos, they can put that game on TV as well because they already have the analog and packaging rights to it. So that is absolutely huge for the NFL and just for the Packers in general. But that is all I have for the MB or the NFL rather. Wow, I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's all I have for the NFL rather. And right now we're going to jump into the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association.
Alrighty guys and welcome back into the last show we will have in the NBA regular season. It's been a marathon that was kind of a sprint, felt like a half marathon in all honesty. Uh, but this weekend we'll finish the season. So like teams like Portland only has one game left. The Lakers have two left. The Pelicans have two left. Uh, things like that. You know, guys have one or two games left. I believe the last day of the regular season is Sunday. The uh, teams in the playoffs have a week off. Teams in the play-in, I was playing play-in tournament. Um, but in general, things have been decided. Um, just gonna get this off my chest. The MVP of the league is Nikola Jokic. Argue with your grandmother. Uh, especially with Embiid throwing up that six-point clunker last night. The MVP of the league is Jokic. Any chance of Embiid maybe going crazy at the end and stealing it back, um, that's not about to happen. Giannis is going crazy, but there's no way he's going to be the first guy since Larry Bird to win three in a row, especially when they robbed LeBron and the Derrick Rose MVP to keep him from doing it. There's no way that Giannis is going to win three in a row, especially with his team. He couldn't win a game without Drew Holiday, and they won several games without him. So there's no way he's the MVP of the league. It has to be Nikola Jokic. I just want to start off with that. I know we just start off with standings. I know we usually uh, start off with, you know, looking at the standings and talk about who's hot, who's not. Uh, but, yeah, Jokic is the MVP. Uh, I'm going to dive into all NBA teams probably next week. Uh, stay of that nature. Uh, I'll definitely be doing that. And when you look at, like, uh, hopefully MVP will be announced. I'm not even sure when MVP is going to be announced. In perfect honesty, I just know the MVP of the league is Jokic. It better be Jokic or I'm going to have a fit on him. I'm going to rant. Uh, I don't rant often, but I'm going to rant. And so that is something I would watch out for. <laughs> if, you're a fan of, if you're a fan of the show, if you're new to the show, I don't rant a lot. But that would definitely be a rantable moment if Nikola Jokic is not the MVP of the league. Like I said, we'll get into all NBA teams next week. Um, all NBA, all defensive rookie of the year. By the way, it should be LaMelo Ball. Um, coach of the year, by the way, it should be the Atlanta Hawks coach, Nate McMillan. Uh, the interim Atlanta Hawks coach, Nate McMillan, which I believe is a travesty that the interim tag has not been removed from him yet because if you look at how they played before and after him they were negative 1.3 in the rating difference before him and then 3.1 in the ratings different after him coupled with all the injuries they've had they've had cluster injuries beating good teams uh that has to be Nate mcmillan's coach of the year award uh but again we'll dive into all that in depth next year uh next week Especially because I believe the awards should come out next week. Because um, they usually do them after. Usually the MVP gets awarded right before the playoffs. Uh, then they do the first game. You get the trophy. That's how you used to do it. Now they do the press conference. I miss the old days. We got the trophy on the floor and for your team's first home playoff game. That was always pretty cool. But we're going to get back to tradition. And we're going to dive right into the standings. We're going to take a look. So out east, we have Philly. The Nets, the Bucks, the Hawks, the Heat, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Hornets, the Pacers, and Washington. And out west, we have Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Nuggets, Dallas, Portland, Lakers, Golden State, Memphis, Spurs. So the 20 teams are decided. That is decided. We know definitively who the 20 teams are. That are going to be in. Yes, I know that Washington hasn't officially clinched the play-in spot. They have to lose their next two. And Chicago has to win their next two. 
for Chicago to catch Washington to get the 10th play-in spot. Now, even without Bradley Beal, I don't have faith in Chicago winning their next two, but I believe Russell Westbrook can get you one game for your life in this situation and get them in the play-in tournament to cause a lot of noise and Beal coming back for the play-in. So I think Washington will be in. So I'm going to go out on a very, very small limb and say that the um, Washington Wizards will be in the play-in tournament. The New Orleans Pelicans were officially eliminated two games, two days ago from possibly catching the Spurs for the 10th seed in the in the West. And so that ensures that the West is decided in terms of the 10 or 10 teams. It just may not have been decided in terms of who the or how they fall. So even out West, you have Golden State, Memphis, and San Antonio are confirmed to be in the plan. And you've got Boston, Charlotte, Indiana confirmed to be in the play-in out East. Even though I think that the um, Washington Wizards will be confirmed within the next couple of days, obviously. Uh, but no seeding has been decided. So teams may be in the playoffs, but like the Sixers could be the two seed. Because they lose their next two, Brooklyn wins their next two, Brooklyn's the one, Philly's the two. Which puts Brooklyn on a much easier path to get to the Eastern Conference Finals than it would put the Sixers if they were the two seed. Because whoever is the two plays Milwaukee in the second round. Whoever is the one either plays Atlanta, uh, plays Atlanta, Miami, um, or Boston, I believe. Yeah, plays either Atlanta or Miami. So, as it sits right now. No Boston, my, my apologies. But um, either Atlanta or Miami gets the, plays the one in the second round, while the three C gets Milwaukee, or the two C gets Milwaukee rather. So it's much more beneficial to be the one to avoid Milwaukee in the second round. Now, looking at the standings, looking at some notable streaks, um, you have Miami on a four-game win streak, surpassing the Knicks. The Knicks are the six seed, which puts them against the Bucks in the first round, and not the Hawks. Um, so the Knicks are the six seed at the moment. You have the Lakers on a three-game winning streak off the power of Anthony Davis. Uh, he won the first two, basically, and then last game, they raised the banner, and LeBron, AD, uh, Caruso, basically, and Schroeder all out, and they still managed to beat the Rockets because uh, the Rockets are a horrible basketball team. The Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies are also on four-game win streaks. Uh, nobody's on the road. Noticeable slide. I mean, the Hornets have lost three, three straight, and the Wizards have lost two straight with their play-in spot on the line. So they have not done a great job of securing that last spot. But like I said, I believe that they will. Um, just, just eyeballing, man, some potential matchups here. You've got um, possibility of Lake of Utah and Golden State in the first round. Uh, you've got the possibility of, you know, 76ers having to go against the Wizards. If, if, if Russ and Bill pull the Wizards from the 10 to the 8, the 76ers reward for winning the one seed could be having to battle off the triple-double machine himself and a walking 40-point bucket in Bradley Beal. Uh, again, but the Lakers could get as high as the sixth seed. Um, just looking back at the seeding situation, they can get as high as the sixth because Portland loses tomorrow against the Denver Nuggets. Very possible. Again, Jokic is going for MVP and hadn't missed the game yet. Um, they go against Portland. They beat Portland. Now, the Lakers draw Indiana, very winnable game, especially if LeBron plays on Saturday, 
And then they play a New Orleans team that won't play Zion, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Steven Adams. Like, none of the starters are going to play for the Pelicans. So that should be a walking win for the Lakers. And then you couple that up with, which may be the Pelicans' last game of the season. They're not playing for anything, so they're not going to play any of their stars, especially with Ingram already out with a low ankle sprain. Zion has a fractured finger. Lonzo Ball has a strained hip, I believe. And Steven Adams has a toe situation. He's been battling for the last month and a half, it feels like. None of them are going to play. So if Portland loses to Denver, I believe the Lakers end up the sixth seed. Now, if you're the Lakers... I think you hope Portland beats Denver. Because you think in your head, we're not going to lose to Indiana unless Sabonis goes insane, which AD will be on them. So I don't know how that's going to happen. And then you're not going to lose to the Pelicans because they're not going to be playing anybody. You might dispatch the Pelicans by, you know, the third quarter and AD and LeBron are watching the fourth quarter if LeBron decides to play, which I doubt because it'll be a back-to-back. So if he plays against Indiana, he won't play against New Orleans and rest up for the playing tournament. If Portland loses and the Lakers get the sixth seed, I believe that is, at this point, worst-case scenario for the Lakers. Why? Because then you have to play the Clippers in the first round. It's not like it's, not like it's Denver at the three. Then you play Denver. That's fine. I mean, you have a Jokic problem, but you have the best two players on the floor talent-wise, and you just have to just destroy the rest of them. Michael Porter Jr. is unconscious. But, I mean, the rest of them aren't really all that talented off the dribble. Then Jamal Murray's not there. You'd have Schroeder back. And I, I just think that if you play Denver in the first round, great, spectacular. That's the way to go to get three seed. Having to play the Clippers in the first round, you might want to avoid that. So let Portland play the Clippers. Then, in turn, you play one game against the Golden State Warriors. Everybody's saying, oh, my God, the Lakers should want to avoid the playing tournament. Why? The two teams in the play-in tournament are currently at this possibility they'd have to play the Golden State Warriors and then probably the Memphis Grizzlies. They've played them six times this season. The Lakers have won five of them. Most of them by double digits, and the one loss was a two-point loss when they blew a 14-point lead to the Golden State Warriors. Now, you're thinking it's one game. Steph can go for 50 in this one game. It's not like LeBron and AD are running around fully healthy. I mean, AD is as close as he's going to get. And LeBron is hobbling, not hobbling, hobbling, but he's not 100%. Can Steph go get 50? AD have an off shooting night, gets 20. LeBron gets 27, where Steph has now outscored LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's possible it's one game. I don't think it'll happen, but it's possible it's one game. And then you look at Memphis. John Mer- and they would go no lower than eight. Yeah, uh, I, I was about to start and make a case for Memphis, and I didn't. I would be able to take injury. It would take LeBron walking off the floor and AD walking off behind him for the Memphis Grizzlies to beat the Lakers. So in that scenario, in that case, the Lakers are going to be in the playoffs either as a seven or the eight seed facing Utah or Phoenix, which is not the Clippers. Prefer honestly, best case scenario, you get the eight seed and end up completely away from the Clippers until the conference finals. And you draw Utah in the first round, which Donovan Mitchell's hobbled himself. And they have no real ability to beat you off the dribble, besides Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson. And then the second round, you play the winner of Nuggets and Dallas. And you're kind of like, eh. Like, you know, now, 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 the Lakers can get to the five, which is another scenario. The Lakers get to the fifth seat, which is, I have to, re- I have to readjust myself. I have to re- 
calculate my brain. I have to re, I have to correct myself. I said the best case scenario was play in tournament. You play Utah Phoenix in the first round. You avoid the Clippers. The best best case scenario is you get to the five because then you play Denver in the first round and you still get to avoid the Clippers. You play Denver in the first round, beat them, then you play the winner of Utah and Memphis. You beat them, you're in the conference finals, and you're staring at possibly the Clippers. We know the Clippers could choke. The Clippers could mess around and lose to Portland. Dame goes, Dame and she goes ballistic, and they mess around and lose to Portland. I don't know. Carmelo Anthony's there. You never know what they could do in a situation. But that is best, best case scenario. Dallas isn't Dallas could lose their last two. Dallas has lost, or then they won their last one. They went on a kind of rough patch before that. Dallas lose their last two. You don't even need Portland to lose. I mean, you, you do need Portland to lose. So Dallas to lose the last two and Portland to lose the last one. It's possible. It probably won't happen, which is probably why I ruled it out mentally. So let's go back to best case scenario, being the playing tournament uh, for the Lakers. Preferably, if they had to choose a seed, probably eight to get Utah and avoid the Clippers. Because if you go two, then you play in the three seed probably, which would be the Clippers in the second round. Which, again, probably to beat probably Phoenix is easier. Uh, Chris Paul's a little engine that could. Drummond and eight in a bang. 80s there okay yeah so phoenix so yeah i would go with if i'm the lakers i want to go with the seven seed and draw against the phoenix suns and then play the clippers uh presumably in the second round and now let's take a look at just to talk about a little topic so the celtics window is well, it's closing they've lost four straight and well i mean i mean the window of opportunity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller it's it started off, you know, Shaq big, and now it's about Isaiah Thomas small, and it's getting shorter and shorter, sort of like Danny Ainge's leash as the general manager of the team. And now Jalen Brown is out. So you're down to one all-star, which in perfect honesty, you should have always had one all-star, but this is the head door there. You're down to one all-star in Jason Tatum. You're struggling as is. No one can beat you out the dribble. Kimball Walker's come and go as his knees come and go. You got no inside presence. You really have no real strong sharpshooting. Your defense is meh. The Boston Celtics may not make the playoffs. Now, here's why I say this. As it sits currently, they're in the play-in. So, the East is the top six is in the playoffs. This the seeds have not been finalized. And the bottom four, the next four are in. Again, Washington's not officially in, but I can't see a scenario where they lose two in a row and, and Chicago wins two in a row. It's just like on the other side with the Lakers needing Portland to lose and Dallas lose to get to the fifth seed. Yeah, there I don't see a scenario where Washington loses two in a row and then Chicago loses two in a row. So that being said, the next four are decided. Again, the seeding's not exactly decided through seven through 10, but they're decided in general. Boston would draw the Hornets in the first round. Now, the best player on the floor would be Jason Tatum. The second best player on the floor will be Gordon Hayward. The third best player on the floor will be LaMelo Ball. The fourth best player on the floor will be Scary Terry, Terry Rozier. I believe the better coach might be James Borrego, a disciple of James of Greg Popovich, rather than Brad Stevens at the moment. And the, the Hornets are going to come in playing loose. They will not come in playing tight because what are they going to play tight for? They weren't supposed to be here. I mean, they, a lot of people picked them as maybe a play-in team. I mean, they're a play-in team, but in the old playoff format, they're the eighth seed. And they're going to the playoffs to play, I mean, the Sixers and get destroyed. But, you know, they're the eight seed. 
So nobody expected them to be here. Maybe they get maybe they pick they, maybe they make a play-in spot somewhere around nine or ten. Uh, but they end up currently they're eight, and I think they could beat Boston. So let's say Lamelo has a great night. Tatum's a little bit off because he has to carry so much of the offensive load. Lamelo has a great night, scores twenty-seven. Gordon Hayward gets to twenty-five, twenty-six. Scary, scary Terry gets to twenty, um, and the Hornets win by four. So that means the Hornets are the seven seed, and they go play the Nets and lose in four. But they go play the Nets. Boston then would play, in my opinion, Washington. I believe Washington would beat the Pacers. Sabonis would be a problem, but Washington would beat the Pacers. That would mean Bradley Bill and Russell Westbrook rolls into the garden to face Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. There is a very real scenario that Washington wins. A very real scenario. Bill goes for 40. Russ goes for 27, 16, and 15. And the Wizards win by 6 or 7. That means the Boston Celtics would be out of the playoffs. Someone has to get fired if you miss the playoffs if you're the Boston Celtics. Fired, fired. Very fired. Really fired. Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, the president, the scout, the top assistant coach, a couple players. Somebody has to go if you don't make the playoffs as the Boston Celtics. Losing to and, ha- and having to do so by losing to the Hornets and then turning around losing to the Wizards. Yeah, I think they'll beat the Pacers. It'll, I mean, both teams have one all-star. Tatum's better than Sabonis. I believe they'd beat the Pacers. I don't think they'd knock off both Beal and Russ. So I think they would lose to the Wizards, and I think the Hornets have a very real chance of beating them in the first game. LaMelo and Gordon Hayward get hot. The Hornets can knock down threes. They have a good night from three. Tatum's a little off. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's one game for your life. Um... And so I think that that would be interesting to see. Tatum feeling all the pressure of the Boston fans. The Hornets are playing loose and easy. Um, so I think the Eastern Conference plans out will be spectacular. I believe that on the West side, it's pretty mundane. It, it gets interesting if it's Portland. I believe it gets very interesting if it's Portland on multiple accounts. So I believe the playoff teams will be... Um, some combination of Lakers and Lakers Warriors Portland, I think would be the would be the teams in some combination of order. Um, if the Lakers stay at seven, I believe they'll beat Golden State in the first game, then Golden State turn around and beat Memphis, which will get Portland, which is keep it like it is, Portland, um, Los Angeles, Golden State. I believe that if Portland gets jumped by the Lakers, I believe that Portland would lose to Golden State and then turn around and beat Memphis. So they're going to make it Lakers at six, Golden State at seven, Portland at eight, uh, that sort of thing. So it is incredibly interesting to look at the standings and just see all the possible matchups, all the possible scenarios. Like I said, there's 20 teams. There's 20, there's 19 teams officially confirmed by math, 20 teams by common sense, and none of them know exactly what seed they're going to be in the play-in or the playoffs. So again, incredibly intriguing. Uh, stuff to watch now just for some updates and news James Harden returned um, from his injury he's been battling that for 25 days something like that um, he came back played very well shot 70 something from the field uh, scored 18 points had seven rebounds 11 dimes and doing 25 minutes absolutely spectacular uh, post game uh, he said that uh, not to brag but I'm really good at this basketball thing uh, he said he studies the game. He doesn't do anything to hurt the team, which you cannot deny his general talent. Now, there's issues, obviously, in commitment in terms of his weight, 
There's issues in terms of the commitment in terms of his playoff games. How much does he really care about the game of basketball? Um, you know, you remember the famous game where he had the 11 turnovers versus San Antonio. And within 30 minutes of the end of the game or 40 minutes into the game, he was seen at a strip club. Uh, at the strip club where he's there so often that he has a banner uh, advertising him as one of the attractions in the strip club. You might, there's a good chance you're running to James Harden. And so that is bringing a question. That'll be brought into question a lot next week because they're obviously they're not in the play-in. So they're going to be sitting around. People are going to be looking for topics. It's going to be how this team meshed in the playoffs. All three of them have played eight games together, seven games together because Kyrie wasn't there because of facial contusion. They only played seven games together. They're expected, obviously, to be on the court game one of the NBA playoffs together. How is the chemistry going to work defensively? This is already not a great defensive team. None of those three are playing defense. And so it'll be very interesting to see that from them. Um, But Harden looked great in his return. Trey Young has been starting to get pushed as an all-NBA player. Again, we're going to dive deep into that next week. But I wanted to bring it up because Kendrick Perkins tweeted, uh, man, Trey Young better be in something. In essence, Trey Young better be MVP. Uh, posted his numbers with 27.5 or something like that. Um, and then his famous carry on. I don't know if Trey Young's an all NBA player because of who can be classified as guards in the NBA. I mean, Chris Paul needs to be all NBA. Steph's all NBA. Dame's all NBA. That's three. Uh, Lucas a guard, that's four. So your first four spots are gone, and I haven't even sat down to think very hard. And that's four gone before you even think about mentioning Trey Young. Uh, Harden's All-NBA and probably Kyrie. Harden's definitely All-NBA. That's five. So you have to battle for that last spot with Kyrie Irving. You have to battle with that last spot between... You know, you'll get it off Shit McCollum. But definitely Kyrie Irving is somebody to look for in terms of maybe stealing that last guard spot. Um... I'm not sure. I can't think of anybody else. It might end up being Trey Young. Um, can't think of anybody else off the top of my head really quickly. I'm having like a brain cramp. It's not really working for me. DeMar DeRozan has all NBA case this year. The first guy's team to be in the playoffs. But regardless, I digress. Paul George could be all NBA guard, depending on where he's listed as on the site. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, so Trey Young definitely deserves to get more credit. He's changed his style. He's not just coming on the court jacking up threes like his reputation was. Remember in the in collegiate in his time in collegiate um, athletics in times in Oklahoma, he led the nation in assists, which people forgot about that because his long range shooting drew Steph Curry comparisons. Uh, but he actually led the league in assists or led the country in assists, something like nine. Something like eight a game or something like that in, in college. He's a, he's a great passer. He's a great visionary. A little small, but he's a great passer. And obviously, he's a knockdown shooter. And so, his shooting caught the national attention before his passing did. But he is an excellent passer, uh, which is reflective of his nine and a half assists this season. Anthony Davis and LeBron James injury updates. Uh, LeBron is close in his own words. He's getting close. In his own words, the past week, we've been teased about him playing uh, Tuesday versus the Knicks. Okay, now he's sitting out. Okay, Wednesday versus the Pacers. Okay, now he's sitting out. Okay, uh, he'll, he'll definitely play last night, you know, banner night, Houston Rockets. Oh, no, he's sitting out. Um, like I said, he tweeted out right after the news broke that he's getting close. Um, so, I expect to see him in one of the last two games before the play-in tournament. 
Um, again, they play Indiana on Saturday and New Orleans on Sunday. And so I would guesstimate he's going to play probably the Indiana game and let the New Orleans game just go. Let AD go down to New Orleans and handle his business. But I would assume that the Indiana game is the game he would target. Um, as definitely the game to come back. Especially if it's a home game. I'm not sure if it's a home game or not. But if it's a home game, he's definitely going to play Indiana. And then, like I said, let AD settle his mess with the Pelicans. And then... Uh, but they're both road games. So he might end up going to New Orleans. Uh, obviously, they, he missed the opportunity to go there earlier in the season. So he may want to, quote unquote, make that up and end up heading to New Orleans uh, for their game against the Pelicans and sitting out Indiana. No way he plays back to back, but there is a good chance he plays one of them. If I had to bet, I would say Indiana. Um, just due to they're a better team than the Pelicans with a higher, uh, they're better. They have a higher chance of gaining success. Uh, a couple of injury updates. Jalen Brown has successful surgery. He will be back in approximately three months. Uh, so good news for him. Bad news for Boston in this time that they really, really needed him. But good news for him on a personal level that he is close or, or that he has a definitive timeline of when he will be back into basketball activities, which, like I said, it's about three months. And Bradley Beal will be out again in their next game due to this hamstring situation. Uh, he got in a scuffle, verbal scuffle, social media scuffle with uh, Kent Bazemore early in the week with Bazemore saying, man, we got Steph Curry, got people hurting their hamstrings, trying to keep up which obviously was deemed as a shot to Bradley Beal. He still has not effectively denied it was a shot to Bradley Beal. But Bradley Beal is the only legitimate contender to Steph Curry's scoring title. He had a hurt hamstring, and you conveniently made the joke, Mr. Kent Bazemore, that the people are hurting their hurt ham people are hurting their hamstring trying to keep up with Steph's point production. Um, I'm going to ask this one time, who are you, Kent Bazemore? Um... In comparison to Bradley Bill, you're a nobody. Your best years were several years behind you. And it was just flat out rude and disrespectful. Like, I don't speak of another man's injury. I'd never be like, oh man, he, damn man, he deserved that. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Like, speaking of another man's injury is is, is a low blow. Uh, soft as baby poo for that one. Uh, if I'm Bradley Bill, I probably would have reacted the same way. But that is definitely a situation to watch out for. But up next, we're going to shift to the WNBA and talk about their season beginning today. It begins tonight on May 14th. Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about the WNBA's 25th season debuting tonight. So multiple things. They got a game on YouTube. They got a game on Facebook. They got a game on CBS Sports Network. Uh, get WNBA League Pass. You can watch them all whenever. You don't have to wait on the national televised games. Um, I'm not quite sure on the League Pass price. In the past, it's been about $100 um, for the season. I'm not sure what it is exactly this year. Um but definitely get on that. Obviously, we got some stars in the WNBA. You have um, Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins, Diana Taurasi teaming up with the um, Mercury. Side note, 
there's some cool-ish going on with Google. If you type in WNBA League, they have like this rain thing that happened. That was pretty cool. It's like it's celebrating the 25th year of the WNBA. Uh, in terms of League Pass, you get the, I think it's $16.99 for the season. Yeah, it's $17 for the season. If I mean, if what I'm if what I'm looking at is correct, every game on demand, yeah, it's free for seven days and seventeen dollars. Or you can get one individual team for ten dollars. So it's one of the best bargains in sports. You get a full season of the WNBA for seventeen dollars, and you get everything like NBA League Pass. You get on WNBA League Pass, or you can get an individual game for two dollars. So guess what, people? Get WNBA League Pass. Take advantage of this great season. You, I mean, you've got so many stars happening. You've got Elena Deladon returning. Uh, last, remember last time we seen her, she was hoisting up a WNBA trophy. And then the last time we see uh, the Seattle, that's two times we've seen the Seattle Storm healthy with Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird. They were hosting up the WNBA trophy. Now we're adding this year the Commissioner's Cup. Uh, it's going to be like an in-season tournament with $500,000 prize pool for the players and the staff. Now, if you think about it, the average WNBA player makes hundred grand. So this is five hundred grand going to them. If you win the Commissioner's Cup, you make hundred grand. You may end up getting another forty or fifty grand just for winning this cup, which is huge. Um, you have the, like I said, the Las Vegas Aces, who they have their triumvirate of stars. You have you have reigning MVP Asia Wilson. You've got Chelsea Gray from the Los Angeles Sparks. You had Angel McCartry. Unfortunately, she tore her ACL and her MCL, I believe. She may be done for her career. I, I won't venture to say she's done forever. I won't say that. But my thought was, look, Angel's getting up there in age. She was pretty much joining this team to make a run at a title. Uh, it didn't happen last year. It's not going to happen this year because she's injured. How many more cracks at it is Angel going to give it? Um, that's the problem with female basketball. They play year round. There's no offseason. For most of the players, you know, especially players not making a whole lot of money, they sign a WNBA and then they go sign a foreign contract because there's only 144 spots in the WNBA, 12 teams, 12 players. And so many of the college players we know are going to be overseas only players in a couple of years. And then they will and they will be granted offseason because they won't play in the WNBA summer. But in general, you know, like Angel McCarthy was playing in Russia. Uh, Brittany Grana goes to Europe. Um... Brianna Stewart goes to Russia. You know, you have a lot of these players play both leagues. They play in Russia or Europe or China and play in the WNBA. Um, Elena Deladon is one of the few that has never gone overseas. She, she just hangs out in the offseason. She trains, stuff like that, and gets better. She I don't think she's ever gone overseas. Uh, Candice Parker hasn't gone overseas in recent years. But in general, the 144 best female players in the world are in the WNBA. Uh, you got uh, you got females like Dee Dee Richards who, you know, in a normal in a full if, it, if, they, if they had NBA mounted team, she's the first round pick, and she was a third round pick in the WNBA or second round pick in the WNBA. It's very hard to make it in the W. Um, draft picks second round have to fight for spots. It's insane, uh, especially now with the free agent movement. Uh, people are move able to move a lot more freely. It's a lot more commonplace for a big name to move, a la Candace Parker to the Chicago Sky, a la Chelsea Gray to the Las Vegas Aces, Angel McCartry to the Aces, Skylar Diggins-Smith to the Mercury, uh, amongst others that have moved 
you know, in recent memory. Elena Dillo Dawn to the Mystics. Um, I forgot what she was originally, but it wasn't the Mystics. And, um, you know, that is huge. Oh, she was, she was Chicago. She was Chicago at first. She's on the Mystics. Um, so that, you know, you see that kind of player movement that you don't get you reflected of the NBA. The NBA has a lot of superstars move. Obviously, everybody knows LeBron James has moved four times. Uh, Kevin Durant's on his third team. Um, James Harden's on his third team. Russell Westbrook's on his third team. Uh, Steph Curry's one of the few. Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Jokic is probably the list of the superstars that haven't moved. Um, or the list of the really big names that haven't moved. Anthony Davis is on team two. Um... I think some of the big names, but everybody moves around. Kyrie Irving's on team three. Um, you know, everybody moves in the NBA, and now it's starting to reflect in the WNBA, especially the way their CBA and their contract are set up. Um, it is now imperative or it's encouraged financially to move with only the core player uh, distinction and stuff like that. For instance, in LA, they use the core player contract on Candace Parker the last couple of seasons. This year they couldn't do it. And so she moved on to go to Chicago and they instead they put the core player on Neka Gumake. So it, it, it was encouraged financially um, to have the ability to move because now Chicago and LA can offer you the same contract and now it's purely on preference. Uh, five years ago, it's a no-brainer LA. Uh, she, she wanted to go home. So Candace Parker ultimately ended up in Chicago. But again, based on that CBA, the NBA CBA is in trying to encourage players to stay based on finances. That's why your home team can offer you the extra year. Your home team can go over the cap to sign you. Your home team can, you know, um, do more for you financially just in general. That is through the home team. That's why they want to do that. Instead, the WNBA is like, look, we want players to move around. We want that to be a big thing. Their free agency was insane this year. When going into the 25th year, I expect this to be the best year of the W yet. Uh, picking a finals comparison. I even like how they do their postseason. There's no conferences in the postseason. It's the best eight records make it out of 12. Best eight make it. Get in how you fit in. Um, you know, the top two seeds get double buys to the conference finals. The next two seeds get single buys. And then the bottom four play each other in one game. Then they go to the next round. You play that team one game. Go to the next round. Then the series starts with the WNBA finals being a five-game series. Uh, conference finals, I believe is I believe it's five as well. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I believe it's five as well. It is a very interesting situation because the West was stronger for so many years. Uh, like the sixth seed, they feel like, like you know the fifth seed in the West would be the second seed in the East for so many years. Um, and now with the unconference playoffs, the West can put six out of eight teams in. Or they can put five out of eight teams in, you know, and then be seated. Uh, they have five of the top six seeds, you know, that sort of thing, because that the West is just that strong. Uh, it's coming back to the pack a little bit uh, in terms of its evening back out, kind of, um, with L.A. no longer being as big a threat as they used to be, Minnesota not being as big a threat as they used to be. Uh, you have, like I said, Vegas, Phoenix, Chicago, uh, probably the three-headed monster, D.C., Seattle, uh, would be the teams that can win a championship. Everybody, The other seven teams in the league are – very good solid teams like minnesota they can play uh atlanta would be exciting dallas is rebuilding la is rebuilding um but there are some exciting teams connecticut's always it's connecticut's gonna be solid indiana can play as well 
Um, so there's there shouldn't be any horrible teams in the league this year. Probably Dallas have the worst record, just because their best three players are rookies, uh, or three of their best four players are rookies, with Arike Ugumbawale being their best player at the moment. Um, but it's gonna be a very exciting season. I'm looking at WNBA Finals probably before Angel McCautry got hurt. I was gonna say Seattle and Vegas, but now that's um, Angel McCautry's down, I'm gonna say Phoenix and Seattle would be my pick for the WNBA Finals, but it would not shock me at all if Vegas still made it or Chicago makes it. So those are my four contenders. Those are my conference finals, uh, Chicago, Vegas, and uh, Phoenix, Seattle. Not necessarily those matchups, but those would be the four teams I would have in the Final Four, quote unquote, to head to the WNBA Finals uh, in the series that are series at that point instead of one game hits which Candace Parker has uh, reputedly said she didn't like because it's it's, it's a little unfair. Uh, just using an NBA example, LeBron James, every single NBA Finals, he three of his four rings he's won, he's lost the first game of the Finals. So imagine if, you know, they're playing the Baby Thunder and the Thunder beat them. And now Kevin Durant, Westbrook, and Harden has that ring and LeBron's 0-2 in Finals. Conversely, he wouldn't be 0-2 because they would have beaten the Mavericks the year before that in the first two games, and then the Mavericks came back. D-Wade's first championship was a comeback as well, 4-2. Down 3-1, that famous situation. The, the finals against the Warriors, they look, the Cavs would have won that if it was a one-game hit because they won the first game against the Warriors. You know, that sort of thing. So, I don't like the one game. I think at least three because it's kind of hard to get lucky twice. So, um, you can get lucky once, have a real hot shooting night, make 10, 12, 13 threes, you know, and now you're up 15 by the end of the third quarter and the game's over and you knock off a really, really, a team that's better than you. Uh, three games, you get that one hot night, but if you win the other game, you were just a better basketball team, in my opinion. But I don't like the one game hits. It's the only thing I'm probably not a fan of with the W. Um, I wish they would at least do three games for the first couple of rounds. Three games for the first two rounds, five games for the conference finals, five games for the WNBA finals seems ideal with me. But hey, they like the one game excitement. It builds all. It's like playing back to back game sevens because one game you could you can win two games and be in the final four in essence. So that is huge for the W in terms of excitement. So I guess in that case, ratings wise, that's a good decision uh, from a basketball standpoint. I would prefer it to be at least three games. Uh, to give some excitement. The NBA did it back in the 80s. Uh, they did three games in the first round. I think that is the best way to go to garner excitement. Uh, I would not pick a WBA champion right now because um, I'm, I'm not sure. Honestly, if I had some money on it, I would say Seattle goes and gets another one. Uh, they're the most cohesive unit. Like I said, the last two times we've seen them healthy, they have hoisted championships. I don't know why that would change, but like I said, the last time we've seen Deladon and her crew healthy in D.C., they were hoisting a championship. Um, Vegas healthy, I think. Probably would have, I probably would have picked Vegas if they were healthy. Reigning MVP, Asia Wilson, Angel McCautry, Liz Cambage, Chelsea Gray. Who's all, like I said, Liz Cambage is coming back. Uh, I expect the full season out of Brittany Griner. She left the bubble. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting season. League pass is $17. Come on, people. We can all buy league WNBA League Pass. WNBA League Pass is $17. Let's support the W, and let's make this happen. Let's get these ladies the revenue and stuff that they deserve. But up next, we're going to talk about our best for last, which is going to be a discussion on the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony this Saturday.
are back and now we're going to talk about the hall of fame induction ceremony just real quickly uh discussing that big names are going in new lsu women's basketball coach kim Mulkey, who obviously is in the hall of fame because of her time at baylor uh she was inducted she was selected at baylor but she's going to be enshrined at lsu so i'm very curious how she's going to go in because she's made she's made her money or her name and her fame and her reputation at baylor but she's now the head coach of lsu so i think it would be a slap in the face to baylor if she decided to go in as the lsu head coach because she hasn't coached at lsu yet. she hasn't coached the game well practice at lsu yet uh she was selected for a time at baylor so i think she's gonna go in she's gonna it's gonna they're gonna announce her as lsu women's head coach but she's gonna go in with the baylor bear um under her name in my i mean that's what i would expect it would, it would be weird of her to do anything else in my opinion um because that to me that wouldn't be a slap in the face of the school i mean it would be a slap in the face of the school but it more in my opinion would be a slap in the face of her players odyssey sounds Brittany griner dd richards um kalani brown just to name a few of those players that helped her make her name um so i think that she's going to go in as baylor coach uh, just thinking about that really quickly. Uh, you've got Tim Duncan. He's going to the Hall of Fame this year. You've got Kevin Garnett. He's going to the Hall of Fame this year. Two of the best big men to ever play the game. Um, two of the most talented power forwards to ever play the game. In terms of modern power forwards, after the merger, they're two of the top four. Uh, Charles Barkley was a power forward. I put him in there and Dirk. Uh, those are my top four power forwards in the modern era, probably of all time. I don't really see anybody else. Um cracking that list off the top of my head so those two are going in um there's a couple other people going in but obviously the big name is kobe bean bryant um who was not supposed to be eligible this year after his tragic passing along with him his daughter uh, gianna and the rest of the people on the helicopter they changed the rule special exception and enshrined kobe instead of making you know instead of i think you have to wait I know in the NFL it's five years. I don't know in basketball if it's seven years. I mean, when did Kevin Garnett stop playing? 2013? It might be seven. It's, it's not three years because he didn't play 2018. He's the first ballot. So I think in basketball it's seven years you have to wait um, after your retirement to have the eligibility in the Hall of Fame. And they changed the rule to allow Kobe Bryant to be enshrined uh, this year. Uh, Vanessa Bryant will speak on Kobe's behalf. Michael Jordan will present Kobe Bryant to the Hall of Fame, but Vanessa Bryant uh, was announced that she will be the speaker. So we saw the amazing job that she did at the memorial service at Staples. Um, but hope, I mean, I I expect it to be just as moving, just as touching. I expect it to be a little lighter this time. I expect it to be a little lighter this time. Um, obviously, heavy. I mean, it'll be heavy hearted either way. Uh, but obviously, I mean, the memorial happened uh, 224. I remember that day because it was for Kobe and Gianna. Uh, it was 224 happened at Staple for Kobe and Gianna. I don't know what the rest of the families. And the crash happened end of January. I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't even a full month out. I mean, it was a few weeks at best since she lost one of her daughters and her husband. Um, and she stood in front of millions, and she knew it was in front of millions, but in front of that Staples crowd, which was packed in front of in that arena, and then in millions watching. I was watching on my phone. I mean, you know, it was spectacular. So I, uh, she did amazing. 
I expect her to do amazing this time. I expect Michael Jordan to be emotional. I expect him to have an emotional feel to the evening. I expect Kobe to be last. Um, that is the crescendo. There's no reason Kobe Bryant should be first or even throwing in the middle somewhere and then have like Kim Mulkey behind them. Like, uh, no, I fully expect Kobe Bryant to be last. Uh, I expected it to be a special induction. Vanessa Bryant is special induction in general. Uh, with Vanessa Bryant being the speaker, I expected maybe, you know, you do like a conga line kind of thing. So at the memorial where Shaq gives a speech and then Vanessa Bryant talks a little bit, Mike talks a little bit, um, Derek Fritz talks a little bit, you know, that sort of thing. But it's going to be Vanessa Bryant. It should be her and her family's moment. I don't expect the dry eye in the room. I expect millions of wet eyes watching. Uh, it's going to be this Saturday. It's going to be very moving, very emotional. Um, and, and, and well, it should be. He deserved that. Um, like Vanessa said, he deserved this moment. Um, he won't be here to physically witness it on earth, but hopefully he's watching wherever he is. Um, you know, and so hopefully he's keeping his eye on the situation. Um, and he'll be proud. Um, uh, Mamba, the Mamba name will live on forever. Uh, the greatest Laker ever. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant will be enshrined to the Hall of Fame this Saturday post death, unfortunately, but, um, will be enshrined to the Hall of Fame. And I'm glad Vanessa's the presenter. I wish she wasn't the only one, preferably, or the speaker. I wish she wasn't the only one. We say like a Shaq or, you know, a Pau Gasol, somebody like that also speaking as well. But it, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm more than okay with Vanessa Bryant being the voice for Kobe. But that is all we have for today. One of our longer shows in a very long time. Um, we haven't done a, sh- a show this long and like I said, quite some time. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys stuck around. This um, show was packed, absolutely loaded. Um, catch me on Hanging with July and Wilk. I do another podcast every so often. It's a YouTube-based show. Uh, catch me on, it's called Hanging with July and Wilk. They're a young podcasting group just like I am uh, in terms of young, in terms of experience. Uh, it's, it's good work for me on camera. I enjoy doing that. So definitely check out, like I said, Hanging with July and Wilk on YouTube. I'll be recording with them today. So that should be up tonight or tomorrow. So definitely check me out there. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.